because this was muted so I couldn't hear it but I could see it so I'm working almost in the blind but here we are on Friday you've made it through another work week for some of us it may have been difficult but you did it and know that the Lord goes with you and before you and here we are on the Friday version of the daily walk we're in Luke chapters 13 through 15 today And I hope you're ready for the weekend. We're going to have a good weekend and worship with the Lord this week. I just know it. Today, Jesus gives us a lot of good stuff today. You know, it starts off with this call for repentance, but really it started because there was this question on what happened to these people. Because once again, Uh, some calamity hits uh, people, hundreds of people from Galilee. As Pilate, remember, he was like the governor, had them murdered while they were offering sacrifices. Now, we paint this picture in this Passion of the Christ that Pilate is kind of a nice guy, but this really paints the reality, Luke does, that he's not, this nice guy what happens is he comes into the presence of the one true god when jesus is standing there and is under conviction for his way of life and when we get under conviction what remember what luke wrote earlier Jesus said, what's in the dark corners of your heart will be made known what was happening in the, the hidden spaces will be brought out for everyone to see. So Luke is really in the presence of the Almighty God when Jesus is standing before him, and he's freaking out. Are you the Messiah? I am, what Jesus says. So Luke does a good job here of painting a picture for us ever so briefly of how Pilate really is. And so all these people are killed. And, you know, people always default to when calamity hits that, oh, they must have been sinners. And God is just getting things right. And Jesus clears that right away. And he says, you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the people in Galilee? And it's like, not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And he says, what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. He's just saying bad things happen to good people too. And we can think of stuff like that. You know, my my brother-in-law, super good person, super good follower of Jesus. He was the greatest liaison for us in our church um, for 
some cultural things in the church. And he dies on Father's Day in 2012 from a severe asthma attack at a young age. And it was it was awful. I remember so clearly my wife waking me up and telling me in the middle of the night, you know, and it's Father's Day on a Sunday, no less. And I, you know, and, and I've got to go to church and pull it together and try to be there for the church, for my sister and, and everything. So it was difficult, but here's what I can tell you. My sister's doing great. My sister knows that we all know that he's in heaven and she knows and has accepted. People say, how do you do so good? And she's like, I know bad things happen to good people. And she knows where he's at. And she's banking on and holds on to this, the promise that he's there and she's going to do her best to be there with him one day. Do we miss him? Sure we do, every day. But she knows that that's just a fact of life sometimes, and we have to do our best to make sure that we meet him again on the other side in heaven. So that's what Jesus is really trying to point out here. It has nothing to do with who sinned most. It's just that sometimes things happen. And it all has to do with, you know, way back in the beginning when we were created, we all have free will. We all have free will. And sometimes the ones that have free will as well make decisions that affect all of us, if you're following me. So he goes next to the barren fig tree, which is, Really, you know, we skim this all the time, and it's about the tree that didn't bear fruit, and the the gardener wants the owner wants to cut it down. But here's the thing: the gardener says, "Sir, I highlighted this. Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I'll give it special attention." plenty of fertilizer and then if it gets figs next year fine but if not then you can cut it down see that's really we'll get to this later but that's really how jesus ploys for us with the father and that's why we think why when is when is god coming back man when is jesus coming back He's not slow. We're going to see that in the scripture too. He is waiting for more of us to produce figs. He doesn't want us to be chopped down and thrown into the fire. He wants us to produce figs. So he is waiting and cultivating us and giving us more fertilizer, you know, those people in our lives to help us see that we need Jesus and that he's our only solution. And so this is a really good little story that says, hey, there's people out there that come into your life that plant this little bit of fertilizer to help you see 
that Jesus is patiently waiting. And this is good because when we get to chapter 15, we're going to see that and how that all comes together. And so Jesus, Luke records this healing on the Sabbath, and it's super good. It's only in Luke. It's a lady that's been bent over for 18 years. And I just, we see elderly people that walk with, that are bent over a lot. But she's been bent over for 18 years, crippled by an evil spirit, it says. And Jesus saw her and called over to her and said, Dear woman, you're healed of your sickness. This bent over thing had affected her so much, and she's in the synagogue. And then he touched her, and instantly she could stand up. And it says, Oh, how she praised God. Can you imagine that? All of a sudden, now, I have a friend who is blessed with the ability, with the gift, I don't want to say ability, the gift of healing and deliverance. And we've seen this kind of healing miracle take place in people with similar things where they couldn't walk or they walked with a limp or they walked bent over. And with just the word and laying on of hands, they, they get up and they walk and they're freed of this. So this is really cool. And I love this part because I, it, I've seen it in real life. It's just so cool. And this is real life. This is real life then. But what happens is the leaders of the synagogue get angry because he's healing. And here's what they say. You got six other days of the week. Heal on those days. Don't be healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, come on, boys. You work on the Sabbath. Don't you untie your ox to get here? Don't you do things on the Sabbath? Don't you get water out of the out of the well to, on the Sabbath? Come on. And, you know, it reminded me of, when the Holy Spirit moves in our service and we and our services get wrecked <laughs> and we we change it because we don't want to quench the the Holy Spirit and you know sometimes we don't actually ever get to preaching because people's lives are getting wrecked and they're accepting Jesus and they're getting healed and delivered from a, a life that has been without Jesus and we get those churchy people that are so stuck in their ways and they're saying come on it's not that time in the service. You're supposed to only do that at the end, or you're only supposed to do that. Because, you know, so many times when we're having altar calls and there's people praying, people get up and leave because they've heard what they want to hear, so they leave. And that's what this reminds me of. It's like these religious leaders becoming indignant, it says, and because Jesus messed up their service. And it's like, man, we pray for that every weekend. My wife and I do going to church. is like God will wreck our service because we don't want to go to church just to go to church, man. We want God to come in and just wreck it. And if the Holy Spirit wants to move on some people and just totally wreck the service, it's his service. Remember, Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And we're supposed to be a house of healing, 
not just physical healing, but spiritual mental healing too. So I just pray for that every week. And I just saw that I, you know, it makes me smile because I see that that is kind of funny and ridiculous to even think like that. If you're really in tune with the spirit and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, so Jesus compares the the kingdom of heaven to like a mustard seed. And you, I don't know, a mustard seed is like a pinhead, a straight pinhead. That's how small it is. But then it grows and becomes a tree that birds can make their nests in. And here's where he uses the knee, the yeast in a good way because he talks about that little dab of yeast you can put in bread and it permeates the whole the whole bread dough and then makes a ton of dough, you know, makes a lot of stuff. So Jesus really talks then about the narrow door and how you got to choose the narrow door because it's the one you want to enter. And if you don't choose it one day, the door's going to be locked and Jesus, you know, is going to say, hey, I don't know you. And we're going to say, oh, wait, but I ate with you. I did things with you. But he's not going to know us because we didn't do it with the right intentions and with the right heart. We just can't go through the motions. We got to really put all our hope, trust, and spirit. We got to be totally dedicated, totally committed. And that's what he's saying in there. So then he gets the word that, hey, you better get out of here because Herod's trying to kill you. And he says, Herod's not going to kill me till my time has come. But then he weeps over Jerusalem because he's like, I'm going to go from here. Because he's in Jerusalem at the time. And he says, and I'm not coming back. And you will never see me again, this is his words, until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is the triumphal entry. And remember on the triumphal entry, they say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And right after that is when he's betrayed. So Jesus knows that, Herod, it's not my time. I am not going to be here until it is my time. And you're not going to get me until it's my time, which is the way Jesus works. He's in control, not Herod. And that's basically what he's saying. So then Jesus heals another one on the Sabbath in chapter 14. This is this one's only in Luke as well. And it's a man whose arms and legs are swollen. And this is where Jesus asks again, is it? Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath or not? And, of course, no one wanted to answer him, so Jesus touches the man and heals him and then asks him, so who doesn't work on the Sabbath? If you or your son or your cow falls in the pit, don't you go get him? I mean, come on. Are you just going to leave him there? And, of course, no one answers, so he just leaves it there too. And Jesus talks about humility, and this is highlighted in my Bible too. And you know this is in the other two Gospels. Those who, humble, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
Luke 14, 11, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Yeah, I think we might hear that again. And then here's the thing that we use for when we go out to see people and pray with them in their homes. This is great. It's the parable of the great feast. And this is really true because this is about a man who prepares a banquet and invites a, a, a bunch of people to it to be his guests. And this is like when you have a, a special event, especially at your church or you're trying to do things and you invite people and you start hearing excuses. And this is in the story. They all began to make excuses. I just bought a field. I must expect it. I have just bought some oxen. I got to try them out. And one just got married, so I can't come. I mean, think about that. When we have church and we invite people to church, how many reasons do we hear? And I said reasons because that's a nicer way of putting it. How many reasons do we hear on why we can't be there? That's why we can't be at church. That's why we can't give to the church. That's why we don't tithe. That's why we don't, you know, we always have reasons. And Jesus is telling us, you know, these are the reasons why we don't want to be committed to living a life in Jesus. And so the in the great banquet, the guy that held the bank, banquet, he said, okay, then go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town since the ones that I wanted to come didn't want to come. I've invited them, and evidently they think I'm not worthy. I mean, think about that. You prepared a place for all your friends and family, and they don't want to come. I mean, think of how that makes you feel. Think about the birthday parties you plan and you ask all these people and only one person comes. I promise you for people that invite you to church, that do all this work to prepare for you to come and be a part of the church that they are so excited to be a part of, that same feeling comes because they know that Jesus is their only solution and when we constantly give excuses, it hurts, especially when a pastor is up talking about Jesus and telling people and knowing the stuff people have shared with them, and people don't want to commit. That's hurt. That, that hurts. I mean, it really does. So the great banquet guys go quickly in the streets and alleys of the town and invite everybody else. And there's still room for more. So go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come. Because none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of the banquet. And so what happens is we go out to the church. This is a true story. We go out and we invite all these people. They come in and they get on fire for Jesus. And then because we didn't commit, we get offended. And what that reveals is we don't have perfect love to begin with because perfect love is not offended. What we should be doing is is 
volunteering, being a part of, giving to it, being committed, and being a part of the same great banquet that these people are because we know Jesus is our only solution. And you know what I've said in the past, you can't step on toes that are moving. So if our toes are moving, we can't be offended because we're already a part of the great banquet. (laughs) And it's so good. And so then Jesus goes into, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. In other words, and is you have to put Jesus first. And in our life, my wife is like, I want you to love Jesus more than anything because I know if you love him more than me and everything else in our in our life, then you will love me. This is my wife saying this. You will love me the way you're supposed to. And you'll love our kids and you'll love the things around us that we're supposed to love in the proper way. And that's what perfect love is. It's not being perfect because we'll never be perfect. But it's having love in the perfect order. Having God first and family second. And putting God at the helm so that his love is so great. And there's not a great divide between there. It's neck and neck. But when God is first, his great love trickles out over everything else we have. And we get to see how great is our God. Man, because his love just permeates everything in our life so we can be so loving and kind to everybody else. And it's so good. So Luke 15 is really for us and how much Jesus loves us that he would go leave the 99 for the one and he would go everywhere and anywhere to find us because he's looking for us. And the parable of the lost coin is very much the same. He's going to turn over everything he can to find the, the one missing person. And when he finds us and when we find him and when we finally come back to Jesus there's going to be such rejoicing in heaven because we've made this decision for Jesus and then the parable of the lost son is that so good thing because every one of us every one of us has decided to go our own way somewhere somehow that was me for so many years I was raised in the church and I was like no this isn't for me and I'd go my own way. And then, you know, November 22nd, 96, I'm like, I can't do it without you, Lord. I got to have you. My track record shows that I don't make good decisions without you. And I've never looked back. And, and so Jesus is like, the parable of the lost son is the guy that says, I want to go my own way. And then he goes his own way and he figures out he can't do it without his father. And what I, I highlighted this because I want you to see this. He has this ploy. I'm going to go back and say I've sinned against you and all of heaven. And he's no longer worthy of being called your son. But please take me on as a hired servant. You know, and that's like going back and confessing to the Lord. Lord, I've sinned against you and all of heaven. Please forgive me and take me back as your son or daughter. But here's how Jesus looks at us. In verse 20 of 15, when we return, so he returned to the Father, 
And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. So here's what I want us to see. First of all, when he returned to the father, the father runs to him, embraces him, and welcomes him. So when we return to Jesus, he is running to us. But what I really took note in here is the son hasn't been able to say anything to the father yet about how I've sinned against you. Jesus knows your heart, folks. He knows what you're coming to him for. He knows that you've sinned and that you're coming with an open heart. He knows your heart. Remember, in all the stories we read, it said Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew their thoughts. And so when we come to Jesus, he already knows why we're coming, and he's welcoming you with open arms. Now, he's still waiting for you to say it because you got to confess with your mouth, we're going to hear in, in a coming book, that Jesus is your Lord. So the son, as a, as after the father embraces him, the son says it, and he said, and the son said, I've sinned against you in all heaven, and I'm no longer worthy of being your son. But here's what happens. The father says, the father acknowledges that, but he doesn't say openly. He just tells the servants, quick, bring my finest robe in, in the house and put it on him, get a ring. So here's what happens, and get my signet ring put on his finger. Here's what happens. The Lord hears your repentance, and he is so elated. This is like the lost sheep. He is already preparing the party in heaven for you because <laughs> he's so happy that you're with him. He's still embracing you, and he's still ready to see you. Now, here's what, as the story goes, you know, we had there's a celebration because you've come back to Jesus, you know. I know that was real the day I gave my life back to Jesus. I know that because there's just this overwhelming sensation that the Lord is with you and happy for you to be with him again, and you're his son or daughter. But I also know that there's people like the other son that, that get angry because, oh, you're back? Because they know your history. And that's what the son is mad about. He knows his history. You squandered this. You did this. You did that. You used to do this, and you used to do that. But the key is you used to. It's past tense, people. You don't want to live in your past. We don't want to be what we were. We don't have to be that. What's done is done. And now all we can do is control what is ahead of us, and with the help of Jesus, we know with him leading us and holding us and taking us by the hand, we can do all things. Remember he said with man, this is impossible, but with God, anything is possible. So now we've just asked him into our life and we know with him, we can do anything. Because he told us, remember, Back in Joshua, oh, really? You were talking Old Testament? Yes. For just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. So be strong 
and courageous. So that's how it ends today. So just like he was with Moses, he will be with you. So be strong and courageous and know that Jesus is elated if you just come back to him and admit to him, I've made my mistakes. I've done things I wish I didn't do. But Lord, take me back as your son or daughter because I want to walk with you because I know I can't do it without you. And man, what a good way to end the work week and just say, Lord, it's been rough. I need you. And he's going to have this great big party for you. And all of heaven is rejoicing on your behalf. What a great way to end your week, right? Let's do that and go into the weekend knowing we're worshiping with a whole new heart this week. Have a great Friday. Know you are loved and know that Jesus has open arms just for you. How great is our God.